The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Series. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is good to be before you and to place ourselves before your word. May what has been prepared bring glory to you. May the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be suitable worship to you. But also, as we go forth from here, may our actions demonstrate what we are about to learn. We also thank you for your goodness and the resources that you've equipped us with and pray that the work of the offering will so build your kingdom. Amen. Let's start uh, with a provoking thought. Pause, stop, give this thought. One act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. What thoughts or emotions do this provoke? Does anyone uh, have a clue who might have said that? It wasn't me. Um, though during Bible college, uh, I was networked across many churches. I could uh, hear three sermons on a Sunday. I think my record was four. Um, a friend once put it to me simply, uh, they set the challenge, are you putting into practice all that you're hearing? One act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. It's attributed to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he was a German pastor who resisted and was consequently executed by the Nazi regime. Obedience was more important to Bonhoeffer. It's not to say he didn't preach a sermon or two as well. So as we come to open God's word, we're going to be in the book of James. Particularly, we're going to be in James 1, 19 to 27. And uh, fortunately, the text can set our approach. This is from James 1, 22. And let this be your approach not just for this sermon, for the other, but rather for the other half, a hundred or so, you will hear this year. Do not listen, merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, let me be clear. This is not just a obey what Pastor Isaac says. Obey God's word. It's not me or my ideas. It's God's word that I want you to challenge you to obey. And it's the commands of God, which you'll find about over 50 imperative commands in the book of James that you should put into action. So you have work to do. Uh, this isn't a passive sit back and be talked to session um, now or this year at North Pine. Be alert, attentive, active in discerning what God is saying to you. I'll do my best to not get in the way. Now let's orientate ourselves to the book of James. Its author is James, sometimes called James the Just. Wouldn't that be a cracker of a name? Uh, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He was executed in 60, uh, 62 AD. We're told that in Acts 12 too. 
Um, and that alone should give us pause to think uh, there is a cost but supreme worth to following Jesus. We can consider James, we can consider Dietrich. Uh, the date of writing for the book is perhaps somewhere in the 40 ADs. Um, so that's early. That's quite early for a book of the Bible, um, of the New Testament. And it's before the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. That helps sort of put you on the timeline. James speaks to a range of issues. Uh, we're going to focus on three that are present within our passage. We're going to give the issue and then consider a corresponding action that James advocates. Uh, so some of the issues that we know, we know that there's fighting factions. This unity is not a new thing in the church. And so there's an action. It's communicate, but it's communicate in a particular way. We'll get to that. Uh, there's also the issue of hypocrisy. Lots of talk, not a lot of doing. Uh, the action that we'll be called to is to show trust with action. There's also a challenge of the worldly lifestyle infiltrating the church. It's alarming when the church starts to look more like the world than the world looks like the church. And so there is a call to action to caring Christian community. And just a comment on the style of James. It's sort of a wisdom literature proverb-like style. So if you're used to the book of Proverbs, you'll be uh, a little bit more at home in the book of James. Uh, but it also has a lot of a sense of the, the words of Jesus, uh, which makes a bit of sense. If you grew up with Jesus as your half-brother, you've probably remembered a thing or two about what he said. It's also written to Jew, Jewish Christians uh, with the challenge, show your alive trust of Jesus. Let's read our passage. Can we go back one? Got it. Okay, starting at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Fighting fractions. So disunity has been a reoccurring issue for the church from the start. I don't think we need too many illustrations to perhaps have had a taste of that experience. And fighting tends towards fast words, so slow listeners, and anger. 
James is going to flip that around. And I wonder, uh, as he grew up, did James just go, I've lost another argument with Jesus. What is it with this older brother? Um, And maybe, as he reflected, he learnt something along the way. At verse 18, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Communicate, communicate, and may I suggest communicate. Now, not more words alone just for more words. Even if well listened to, spoken with patience and not in anger, more words may not be the solution. There is a specific word that makes the difference according to Jesus. Unifying communication starts with a humble acceptance of God's word. And this requires a, an awareness of our state before God, but also our state without God's saving word. Now, normally, if I'm going into a fight, I like to be armed. Um, I, my brain likes to sort of cycle through the offending person's faults and failures, have the list ready, going to demolish them. I'm not saying that's godly, but it's what my brain likes to do. But James points the finger in the opposite direction. Come aware, not of them, but your own state. Righteousness is required by God. So let's consider that word righteousness. Uh, Remember that even well-intentioned anger for the purpose of effecting change is insufficient to achieve righteousness. The righteousness referred to here is a right or correct state of being needed for a good relationship with the perfect and holy God. And for an eternal relationship with God to work, humans must align themselves according to God's standards. We must conform to the will of God. And God's words or God God's word alerts us to these requirements. And can I suggest This makes a little bit of sense when we consider righteousness on the scale of eternity. It's a reasonable requirement. There is no place for the rebel in God's plan for heaven. Perhaps the more theologically accurate term would be for the new creation. The disorder, pain and evil from human actions that has so corrupted creation, it's definitely not my hope, but it's also not God's plan for the new creation. Jesus came, the Son of God, to rid creation of all moral filth and rampant evil. And before this is to be completed by Jesus, at his return, we have the saving, life-giving, now and into eternity word. Look back at verse 18 if you've got your Bibles open. It's just before what we read. The word of truth brings life. This is a fair description of Jesus and his saving work told to us in the gospel story. So humbly accept Jesus at his word. Jesus is to be our trusted and only saviour. Jesus' way for our life is the only way to righteousness before God. And Jesus offers this righteous status as that greatest swap in history. It's something particularly the Apostle Paul will give attention to. James is going to put a focus in a slightly different direction. 
Jesus continues to work in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit to transform and conform our actions, thoughts, and desires to God's way. God's word is not unlike a seed planted in us. It's meant to grow into a grand tree, abundant with fruit. Therefore, thinking back to our fighting fractions, consider how you communicate. Let Jesus produce the righteousness of God that we are eternally dependent on. Let your communication be in step with the saving grace Jesus has offered you. Instead of fighting, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The second issue speaks to is hypocrisy. Now, the hypocrisy's literal meaning was to act on a stage. No offense to the drama students, but it's sort of the origin of the word. And so it's, in other words, it's to pretend we are something we are not. And it's a mismatch of declared faith versus embodied faith, that jarring misalignment of beliefs and actions. For James, accepting God's word cannot be divorced from doing what it says. I'm going to have more to say on this in James 2, uh, which has that great discussion of those who claim faith, that's a key phrase, claim faith, yet this cannot be seen alive in their works. Jesus contends for a live faith, faith shown alive by the fruit of the works of mercy. Now, a live faith cares for and loves one's neighbor. I'm going to have a quick look at a Greek word. So Koine Greek is the language the book of James and the New Testament was first written. Uh, the Greek word for faith, uh, as a verb anyway, is pistuo, or pistis as the noun. It's a rough-sounding word but it's the Greek. Um, And this next statement might sound funny from a pastor, but in my mind, the word faith has this almost abstractness to it. It's sort of hard to grasp in my mind. However, uh, the Greek pistio can help us out here. There are a few equivalent uh, English words that match the Greek word. Belief is one equivalent, uh, which can lead to the ideas of Christianity. Uh, But the equivalent English word that I find most helpful is trust. Trust is tangible. Trust is commitment backed by action. And the hypocrite is exposed by their lack of trust. They claim a commitment, but their actions do not back their words. Do not merely listen to the word, that gospel story of Jesus, but do what Jesus says. Back your commitment to Jesus with actions that align with God's commands. Let your trust be seen. Now, Jesus compares the hypocrite to the fool who ignores God's word. Sorry, Jesus compares the hypocrite fool who ignores God's word to someone who looks in a mirror. I don't know how much time uh, you spend gazing into the mirror. For some of us, that might be a more pleasant task than others. But James offers a reflective illustration, and there's some comedic edge to this. There's a ridiculousness about the person who goes into the mirror only to forget immediately what he sees. I don't know about you, but do you have that moment where you walk into another room 
and you knew you were meant to be doing something, but you completely forgot. It's just like deleted from your brain. Um, for me, it's most commonly when I'm walking towards the fridge. You open the door and you're like, what was I here for? I've got a fridge. It's probably food. And then you do the, if I open the fridge enough times, maybe something different will appear that I want. Whatever the case may be, it's our brains working on complete autopilot. I wonder if you've done the thing where you have to then go retrace your steps, go back to the room where you were and go, what was it? And then like two hours later, you go, that's what it was. Anyway, that's how my brain tends to work. But let's take a nudge from the Apostle James. Don't let your commitment to Jesus default to autopilot. Be cautious about your practices and becoming disconnected and then becoming disconnected from their purposes. There's a great moment during home training week where we're discussing sort of some ideas and proposals, what the future could look like. Um, And we sat there and there was all these great ideas, but it was a whole lot of what without connecting to the purpose, but why. We can come up with ideas all day long, but we must connect them to their purposes. So each week, whether during uh, the church service, our connect group, youth group, kids zone, play group, during family devotions, or during maybe that more quiet moment with the Bible open on your bed, maybe playing uh, from your phone during your commute. We have incredible access to God's Word. And the Holy Spirit is at work making God's Word alive and active, yet we can be so quick to forget. Let's remind us of what our Bible passage called us to. Anyone, this is from verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Consider verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, we'll describe that in a moment, the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. Now, God's perfect law is linked with God's word. Uh, And we could link that back again to the word of truth that gives life from verse 18. James is building this line of thought. I want you to imagine with me you're in the early first years of the church. As a community, you're you're memorizing, you're retelling uh, the collection of traditions about Jesus' life and teachings. You have access to the eyewitnesses, so you can confirm accuracy. You can hear the stories from those who saw them. And the Holy Spirit is at work guiding the church. Now, eventually, uh, these words will get written down, and they might be more familiar to us with the title, The Gospels. And with time, this will include the rest of the New Testament as it's also written. And that will, of course, affirm the place of the Old Testament all as God's word. But right now for James, the focus is on the words of Jesus. So Jesus' law, or his words, they speak to James of salvation, of freedom, and of life. So here's our challenge. Engage with God's, the words of Jesus with intention not autopilot. Don't hear and then immediately forget. 
Don't see but ignore. Take Jesus at his word. Show your trust with obedient actions. James fittingly uh, borrows from the words of Jesus and reminds us that faith in Jesus ends the way of the hypocrite. But also reminds us of blessing. Uh, remember Jesus' sort of the beatitude statements. In Luke eleven twenty eight, we hear one uh, that just sounds so close to that end in verse 25. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now there's another way that we can uh, picture God's word. God's word is like a mirror to our soul, exposing us and our desires, revealing our true image. It kind of sees us when we first wake up in the morning how we really are before we've got ourselves a bit more presentable. But don't turn Christianity into a self-deceiving performance. You're not that actor on a stage in the sense of needing to pretend to be something you're not. Let that be for the hypocrites, but not for you. Let the mirror of God's word expose your flaws and faults. But in Jesus, you will not find rejection. So often, uh, the touch-ups that we do in the mirror are somehow to seek out the approval of others through our presentation. You can't win over Jesus with your attempt of your best. But what you can do is encounter the Jesus who wins over you, the Jesus worthy of our obedience. And Jesus knows us fully exposed. All the stuff we seek to forget that we like to hide away, the sin that ensnares and traps is known. Yet Jesus offers the way to freedom. Jesus makes a way for us back to a good relationship with God. And his saving act breaks the power of sin as he takes upon himself its punishment. So Jesus saves and through the Holy Spirit changes our heart, granting the freedom and the desire to obey and please God. So imagine, perhaps you're not seeing a mirror, but rather a window. You're face to face with Jesus. What might you expect his reaction to what he sees when he looks at you? Look intently. Encounter the one that gives freedom. Continue with Jesus as friend, teacher, and Lord. Find blessing promised by Jesus to those who hear the word of God and obey it. Final section. Let's remind us of what we read. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Worldly lifestyles within the church. Now Christians and by extension the gathering of Christians as the church is meant to stand out from the world around us. If what Jesus has done is true, at an individual but also as a collective, at a collective level, Jesus ought to make us different. As, one, as people being transformed by God's word, the words we use matter. And so as people come amongst us, they should expect that Christians have both 
at times restraint, but also boldness with their words and that this restraint and boldness is matched with our actions. Yet there was cause for alarm and caution as the first generation of the church risked conforming to the pattern of the world rather than being transformed by Christ. Uh, They got out of step with Jesus and in step with the world. And to some extent, I wonder if this is what it boils down to. Whose acceptance are you seeking? Are you seeking God's? Or does someone else have higher priority? And what makes another's acceptance than God's more worthy, more beneficial, more life-giving than being accepted by God? Now, James uses a word here that has a bad rap these days, religion. I wonder, has anyone else heard the phrase, I really hate religion, but, you know, I, I love Jesus. For James, that would have been a really odd thing to say. That said, James is going to be clear by what he means when he says the word religion. Think outwards expression of faith. I like the term alive faith. James is interested in religion that is alive, active, that lives out trust in Jesus. And he links two particular types of actions. So action one, look after the most vulnerable. He describes the orphans and the widows, the most underprivileged in his time. And the church did this. You could look at Acts 6. There was a large roster for the daily distribution of food to the destitute widows. It was a large work of mercy from the church. And it required effort, resources, sacrifice. It also required good governance. In particular, appointment of specific people for the roles in order to release others for ongoing work. And what I love is the outcome. Acts 6 verse 7, after they put this acceptable religion into practice, verse 7 tells us, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Did you notice that the priests, the supposedly most religious, were impacted by the practice of, of pure and faultless religion. However uh, religious we might feel, there's a challenge for us in that. And action two, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Worldly lifestyle is a persistent temptation. Now James is thinking about something in particular in here and he'll spend much of his book um, taking time to dig into it further. But much of what he has to say is in relation to money. Money is of no advantage to gaining acceptance from God. If you needed a takeaway line, money is of no advantage to gaining acceptance from God. In fact, far too often, money is a polluting barrier, enticing us to greed, idolatry, and also just mean action against others 
in pursuit of worldly desires. So Christian community that seeks after God's acceptance cares for the vulnerable. Now, it may suggest to you, if you're finding the world enticing, if you're struggling with the polluting influence, focus on caring for the vulnerable. Meet needs in your local and global community and take the benefit of learning with others what is really needed. Care for the vulnerable. Particularly as Christians is an incredible expression of God's merciful character. It's one of those undercurrents that has truly shaped society. And we must not lose this Jesus-shaped character. Even in the age of the welfare state. Let's bring it together. We started with this thought. One act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. Let's finish with a question. What from the last hundred sermons needs to become one act of obedience? Church, show your alive trust in Jesus. God, there can be many words that are said. There can be much of your word that we have access to. Yet how is it shaping our obedience? Guide us in the moments, in the days, in the week, in the years ahead. Not just for one act of obedience, but for a life of obedience because because we trust you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.